0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Kings 8, verse 61. Let your heart, therefore, be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. Well, this is exciting, first time. Um, first, before I get into it, I want to talk about the Jesus night a little bit. We, uh, we had some really great prayer yesterday. At Cordial, and um, this is what we're here for you know, to, to see the lost saved. And uh, so, come join us February 3rd, six, six o'clock at the middle school here in Berryville. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Um, and then, of course, you're welcome to come to the family, or families are welcome to come to the family small group uh, on the 27th, I believe. That's five to seven. So, I wanted to touch on that real quick. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Even though it's frigid, we are here to worship you. God, you have given me this message today, and so I pray that you would just help me to speak it clearly so that everyone can understand. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I spoke um, last year twice about leading people to Jesus, praying for them, for their healing, and just living, uh, living a life that we're called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And so, today, I'm going to kind of build on that, uh, majorly build on that. Um, so, we, we are called to be like Jesus, right? Right? I think all of us in here know that already, probably. If not, now you do. (laughs) Um, But we are called to be like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we could change this a little bit to say whoever says he, well, not change it, but whoever says he abides in him. Who is he? That's us. That's all of us. Everybody who says that they are a follower of Jesus Christ, who's a disciple of Jesus, we ought to walk in the same way in which he, meaning Jesus, walked. So, you and I ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. So, how did Jesus live? What did he do when he was on this earth? Matthew 4 says that he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So, he went throughout all Galilee. We are called to go throughout our communities. The Great Commission tells us to go to the whole world, but we can definitely start here in Berryville and the surrounding areas. He taught in their synagogues. Not everyone's going to do what I'm doing and preach in front of a church, but we are all called to preach, whether it's to our family members, our friends, uh, our coworkers. As the Spirit leads us, we are called to preach the gospel wherever we go. So are we doing that as the Spirit leads us? and he healed every disease and every affliction among the people. We can pray for the healing of sicknesses and diseases, afflictions, anything. We can go to Jesus and pray with people and for them. And here's where it gets interesting, because Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. Second Corinthians 5:21 gives us the evidence of this. It says, "For our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, each one of us, He, meaning God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, meaning Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God." Jesus knew no, knew no sin while he was on the earth. He was perfect, completely and totally perfect. Never sinned once, not, not a single flaw that he had. Jesus put, I mean, God put all the sin of the world on him on the cross to atone for our sins, but Jesus himself was Perfect. And in Matthew 5, 48, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' own words, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yikes. I can tell you that I'm not perfect. You know, none of us in this room are perfect. But Jesus gave us this threshold. You therefore must be perfect. He doesn't mince words here. Um... And this can be really discouraging. You know, whenever you look at this verse, it, it can be discouraging because you think, Jesus, like, how can I be perfect? Like, what? How is that possible? Like, how can you possibly expect me to be perfect? I mean, I know I've struggled with this verse at times because I think all of us, we want to be like Jesus. And it's a pretty high threshold. So we'll, uh, we'll dive into that a little bit. In Solomon's prayer, King Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, the first temple, he was praying to God, and um, one thing he said in his prayer, and this is Scripture, uh, in 1 Kings 8.46, he says, For there is no one who does not sin. For there is no one who does not sin. And what he was doing was he was praying that um, people of Israel— would stay true to God, and he acknowledged that there is no one who does not sin. And he was praying that if they sinned and they turned away from God, and they lost the temple, which they did, um, and they uh, lost their land too because they turned away from God. But he was praying that God would forgive them if they repented and came back to God. So it almost looks like a contradiction where it says, "You therefore must be." Or when Jesus said. You, therefore, must be perfect. And then Solomon had acknowledged that there is no one who does not sin. So, but it's not a contradiction because Jesus also knew 16 verses later in Solomon's prayer, Solomon prayed, Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day, so that gives us a little bit of a clue, I think, as to what Jesus was referring to. Now, I'm going to segue and share a little bit of my story, real quick. My dad left when I was a boy, and that left a pretty drastic father wound. And uh, of course, you know, growing up, we all make mistakes, cause our own pain. And so I made a decision that I was going to not make, that I was going to live with no regrets. In high school, I decided, you know what? I'm going to live with no regrets. And now looking back at it, I know that that was my way of trying to avoid pain. Well, <laughs> newsflash, it didn't work. <laughs> I, I, made, I made bad decisions. And, you know, we, I, even though I was saved at a young age, I would walk away from God and have to come back to God. Um, so... This leads up to a few years ago, I started seeing a Christian counselor for some things I was dealing with, and my Christian counselor gently kind of pushed me to believe, not pushed me to believe, but she was very kind about it, and she was like, you know, I, I think you're struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder. And I was like, wow, like that's it hit me pretty hard, and, and it wasn't a type of thing where I'm like, you know, checking the lock three times, but um, anyhow, so she, she, uh, she recommended, so for, obviously we prayed through it because she's a Christian counselor. And she recommended I go through this uh, OCD workbook, which I did, because so I was like, well, I don't, I don't really know where to start. So I guess this, this is a good place to start. And the OCD workbook workbook says that um, you you will always have OCD, but that you can manage it and you can live with it and you can you can be happy through it. And which was comforting, comforting, you know. And I did I put into practice some of the things in the workbook, and it actually helped a little bit. Um, it gave me some a level of freedom. Now, fast forward to uh, this past year, um, interning with Emmaus Church, and I was watching the videos uh, from Small Voice Ministries, Pastor Mike's YouTube page, and I began to realize wait a second, this OCD, it's not, you know, I've been dealing, I've been managing the symptoms, but the source of it is spiritual. And so I prayed in Jesus' name, I renounce this OCD come fill me, replace where that OCD was in my spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And that's kind of where I want to really hit the nail on the head right here, is that um, we, like, I know I struggle with perfectionism every day. I've I've struggled with that my entire life. And when I read what Jesus says here, that you must be perfect— my perfectionism just goes out the wazoo, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like, let's hone in on that one verse and let's just get so focused on that. But I think if we go back to Solomon's prayer, I think we have a better idea of what Jesus meant when he said that you must be perfect. Because he said, let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Jesus wants Our hearts. He wants our hearts. But even more than that, He's given us His Holy Spirit. And that is the tool that we use whenever we're struggling with things. That is the tool that we use. So we're not not seeking a perfection of, of human effort. Don't seek a perfection of human effort. Obviously we have to we have to uh, pursue Jesus, and that, takes, and that takes intentionality. But this perfection isn't of a human effort. This perfection is seeking Jesus and allowing him to transform us. So Jesus, uh, one of his strengths whenever he was on the earth, how he, one of the ways that he kept focused, because um, he, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. Is he humbled himself? Philippians 2 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But the, but the point here is that he humbled himself. We have to humble ourselves to Jesus. Jesus did not have his own agenda, he came to the earth to humble himself to the will of God and die on the cross. We must follow his example by not attaching ourselves to our own agenda of self-promotion, seeking earthly wealth more than the plan Jesus has for us, or living in the lust of the flesh. So, we should not attach ourselves to our own agenda of self-promotion. Obviously, you know, if you're applying for a job, you have to promote yourself. You have to interview and tell, you know, tell them what your, what your strengths are so they can know if you're the right candidate. That's not what I'm talking about here. Obviously, in life, you have to promote yourself in certain ways. What I'm talking about is promoting yourself in a way that is ungodly, to get ungodly gain. And sometimes there's a fine line there, so we have to be careful and pray through that. We also should not—now, wealth isn't a bad thing, whether you're poor, rich, whatever. That's not the point. The point is that we don't want to seek wealth more than the plan that Jesus has for us. Jesus uh, isn't calling us to have— you know, a certain amount in our bank accounts. It's about following him. Maybe that will result in a certain amount in your bank account. Maybe it won't. But uh, we have to focus on following Jesus instead of seeking earthly wealth. And then, you know, and then we can't live in the lust of the flesh, which that, that covers a whole lot, so I'm not going to dive into that. But um, we can't follow the lust of our heart, the lust of our flesh. And one thing I I think I—actually, I know I need to point out because the Holy Spirit has pointed this out in my own life, and I think it applies to this message, is that um, our politics have to die. And what I mean by that, or rather what I don't mean by that, I don't mean that we don't vote. I don't mean that we don't fight for the things that Jesus wants us to fight for. But when it comes to political party, a political candidate— All that, so much lower. Not not even in in comparison to how Jesus should be in our lives. Jesus has to be higher than our politics. The disciples struggled with this themselves because uh, in Acts 1 6 through 8, they said, Lord, so this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. And they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And that was a valid question because. Israel had a tendency of, of, uh, of, of sinning, being taken out of the promised land, and then coming back. So it was a very valid question that they had, because based on what they knew in the scriptures, they thought that Jesus was going to come and give them back their land from the, from the Roman oppression. And, and, th- and this is why I love this message, is because it wasn't about that anymore. Jesus said, "...it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority." But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus was telling them that a new power was here, and actually, they had experienced it. The disciples had already experienced this. In Luke ten seventeen through nineteen, it says uh, the seventy two returned with joy, saying, "Lord." Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now this is before Jesus' death. This is when uh, the disciples were actively doing ministry with Jesus. They said, Jesus had sent out the disciples. He had given them this power at that time. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So so the disciples had tasted this before. And what Jesus was telling them was that this isn't about earthly power anymore. Now this is about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to cast demons out, the power to heal the sick, the power now to see people come to Jesus, to see a soul saved for eternity. And after Jesus died, or before uh, so around this time period rather before Jesus died they had at that time they only had the they had prayer and they had scripture they had prayer and scripture but now now we have prayer scripture and the holy spirit that was the game changer the holy spirit coming and those are, as I'm sure Pastor Mike has said it many times, those are our weapons of warfare. 2 Corinthians ten four through 6 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We have divine power through the Holy Spirit to destroy strongholds, destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. When I learned this, that's whenever I told that OCD to go. I told it to go in Jesus' name, and it did. So Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was living on this earth. Luke three, twenty-one 21-22 says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when John also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So the Holy Spirit first came to Jesus on that day. Then in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus went up to heaven, the Holy Spirit fell on the believers. Following that, Paul and the other disciples would go and lay their hands on new believers, as they, so they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts eight fourteen through seventeen says, "Now when the now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to they sent sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit." For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So Jesus received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We received it in finality. And then in, uh, after that, the apostles would go and as they would preach, they would lay their hands on the new converts and they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that. Uh, to kind of bring everything back together, that is what we're here for. Since we're in January, we're at the beginning of the month, it's a good time to think about, are we focused on Jesus? Are we, focused on, are we too focused on the, the election coming up? Are we too focused on um, our heat not working? You know, what are we too focused on? And granted, all those things matter, but all those things have to be submitted to Jesus. So we are called to be like Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life. And then Jesus called us to that. But what I believe he meant by that is us giving him his heart, our heart, seeking him, following the Bible, and using the Holy Spirit as our weapon, not only for ourselves, but for others. So this year, let's stay focused because things are going to get crazy, as they always do in election year. (laughs) But, yeah. So, let me pray, and Caleb, you can go ahead and come back up. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this word. God, I pray that you would help us to be focused this year, that we would seek you every day. God, that we would seek your face. That we would be in the scripture regularly. God, help us to be focused. Because when we're focused, we can be more effective and accomplish what you want us us to accomplish this year and going forward. In Jesus' name, amen.